Almighty and all-living God. We come this day as those who are responding to the work you've done on our lives. We come as those who realize that you are shaping us and molding us. We come to be remade by your glove, by your grace. We come to have your love and grace wash over us, wash over our church, wash, wash over our community, wash over our nation, wash over this whole world. Because we know that there are cracks. We know that there are places that need to be remade. We know that there are places that need to be reformed. So God, we, we come here knowing that it is you who have called us to this place, hoping to hear a word from you, a word that can speak to our hearts and remake us, a word that can inspire us to go and remake part of our community so that this whole world can be the place that you made it to be and that your will can be done here as it is in heaven. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there was a show that ran on PBS for a long time called The Joy of Painting. It starred a man named Bob Ross, and he would, well, paint while you watched him. Does anyone remember this show? Yes? It's on Netflix now if you want to catch up. So I didn't watch the show a lot, but I watched it enough to get the gist. And I was amazed at this guy. It was amazing how with just a few brush strokes, he could create a tree or a bush or a mountain. And what was even more amazing was what would happen when he would make a mistake. He'd start something. And halfway through, he'd noticed that it wasn't turning out the way he wanted it to turn out. So all of a sudden, he'd switch gears, and he'd decide that he'd turn his mistake into a stream, or a tree, or a cloud. Watching him paint made me think that I could paint, which is amazing, really. You know, if I just took the time and tried. But painting sounded messy, so I didn't start there. I'd work my way up to painting. I started with drawing. So I'd try to draw a picture. And pretty quickly, that picture, well, it was turning out not the way I wanted it to. So I'd think, well, well what would Bob Ross do? Well, he'd just turn this into a tree. So I'd start to turn my mistake into a tree. And when I got done with it, you know what my mistake looked like? It didn't look like a tree. It looked like a mistake. <laughs> Last week, we read the prophet Jeremiah's words to ancient Israel as he called them out for their unfaithfulness to God. We read God's charges of covenant breaking against the people. We read Jeremiah declare God's judgment on the people. And we closed talking about how the people had become broken cisterns that could not hold water. In the hands of novices, broken pottery is simply broken pottery. Not unlike in my hands, a mistake in a drawing is simply a mistake. However, in the hands of a master, whether Bob Ross or a master potter, mistakes can be fixed, 
can be remade, can be made beautiful. So today we have another message from God through the prophet Jeremiah. Though separated by many chapters, this message resumes the theme of broken vessels. But this time, we hear about what can happen to broken vessels when put into the master's hands. Today we are in Jeremiah 18. It should be printed in your lifeline displayed on the screen behind me. Or if you want a Bible and don't have one, we give them away for free out in the cafeteria Feel free to avail yourself of our Bibles. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I have intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you, so turn from your evil ways, each one of you and reform your ways and your actions. What we have before us this morning is a divine object lesson, a metaphor. But before we get to that imagery, I want to give us some historical context for our scripture, since it resumes the same theme as last week's verse, but is separated in Jeremiah by 16 chapters. What's up with that? Jeremiah began his ministry during the reign of King Josiah, A succession of immoral kings had led the southern kingdom of Judah astray. However, Josiah comes to power, and Josiah is finally a good and righteous king. He brings about the covenant reforms that the prophets had been calling for and brings the people back to God, and all is well. After getting results from his preaching with the good king Josiah, Jeremiah himself goes into a bit of a retirement. When the nation is righteous and in step with God, you don't need prophets. However, after Josiah, Jehoiakim, say it together, Jehoiakim. There we go. That's absolutely how you say it, or it's absolutely how I'm saying it today. One of the two. Comes to power, and he is essentially a self-serving puppet for Egyptian interests, and he undoes all of the good King Josiah's reforms. Jeremiah resumes his preaching to once again warn the Israelites what will happen if they continue to break the covenant. So what we get in this image, in this object lesson, is this give and take between the potter and the clay. We all know that in pottery, making, sorry, let me just undo it with a little sip. We all know 
than in pottery making. The potter has control to move and shape the clay. But what we'll hear in this section is that the clay can move and bend with or against the potter's hand. We hear echoes of Israel's own movement towards and away from God, their own vacillation between fidelity to the covenant and covenant breaking. And hopefully we can hear in this section something that speaks to our own lives. As we as individuals, we as a community, as we as part of all of humanity, oscillate back and forth between moving in step with God and working in opposition to God. Jeremiah is called by God to go to the potter's house, for there he will hear God's word. Jeremiah sees a potter working at the wheel, but the pot was marred in his hands. I like the passive voice here. We aren't clear whether or not the potter made a mistake or whether the clay was faulty. I kind of like this image because it speaks a real truth about relationships. Here's a, here's a quick illustration of that from something that happened just yesterday. My two-year-old is pretty good for a two-year-old, not prone to violence. He's, he's not a hitter, not a biter yet. I know there's still time. He was playing with, with my cousin's child, and, who's also two, and, and they're best friends, which is great to watch them play. And they're out in the backyard, and they discover a huge stick, which is a real win for two-year-old boys. And so my son picks it up, and at a certain point, he hits his friend with, with the, the stick right in the face, which I can't let go unpunished. I try to be the good, responsible parent. So he's having a timeout, and I say, Patrick, why did you hit Tyler with the stick? Well, Daddy, I was swinging it this way, and I was swinging it this way, and I guess his head got in the way. Sometimes... We like to think of things as no one's fault. Daddy, I didn't hit him, I just swung the stick. Why'd his head get in the way? Now, obviously, we had to talk through that, but I digress. But when we think about our relationships, when we think about if we're parents and have children, or, if we, or we think about relationships with our friends, you try your best to do everything right. And sometimes you can do everything right. You push just hard enough, you discipline, you love. But sometimes relationships fall apart. Sometimes, despite the best of our intentions, our kids do things that we can't understand, like swing a huge stick. Sometimes friendships just drift away. No one has done anything wrong. Everyone's done everything right. You've done the best you can in that situation. But the, the clay has been marred in your hands. And we don't know what caused it. What did it? Sometimes things fall apart. Situations become marred in our hands. In other points in the prophets, the word of the Lord will speak much more strongly about Israel's faults and intentional choices to be unfaithful. The word of the Lord will be much more stern in laying the blame on Israel. The word of the Lord will be much more explicit in Israel's complicity and guilt in transgressing the covenant. But here we see a very gentle, passive construction, and I like that it's there in the Bible. Because sometimes in our lives, things become marred in our hands. The pot that the potter was shaping didn't turn out. And this is when the potter begins to act. The potter begins to reshape the marred clay, to form it into a new pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. 
God then makes the point clear that this is what he plans to do with Israel. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, O Israel. Last week we talked about how Israel had become a broken vessel, a leaky cistern that couldn't hold water. And we examined our own lives, our own hearts, and thought about the ways that we ourselves might be leaky. I asked you to think about if there was anyone in your life that had become dry, weary, or worn out. I wanted us to do that at the start of another school year and program year because God tells us that he is the potter and we are the clay. And just as the potter can take a pot that has become marred and remake it, God can do the same with us. God can do the same with our hearts. God can do the same with our souls. God can do the same thing with our lives. God can take your heart, your soul, your life, and like clay in the potter's hands, remold and reshape it. God can make it perfect once more. But the prophet isn't just talking about individuals here. The prophet is talking about a whole community, a whole nation. If there's brokenness in your family, God can take that and remake it. If there's brokenness in your school, God can take that and remake it. If there's brokenness in your neighborhood, God can take that and remake it. If there's brokenness in our church or in our nation or in our world, God can take that and remake it. God is shaping and molding all aspects of our life, of our world. What in your life needs to be remade, reshaped? What in your family's life or your friend's life or your coworker's life? Now, this question gets dangerous because it sounds like I'm inviting us to judge other people's lives. But all I mean is can you see something that needs the hand of God? Now, the next question might be the most important question. How do we get that done? Because I don't want to be that guy that just points out things that need fixing, offering no solutions. Like I'm standing over you saying, missed a spot. How do we get to reshaping and remolding our lives? Now, before we go any further, you might not like the answer to this question. Just warning you. Because the first step is that we have to give up control. You see, Scripture even tells us that the potter reshapes the clay as he sees fit. As the potter sees fit. The clay doesn't get to decide what it gets remade into. The first step in being reshaped by God is giving up control over the shape that your life takes. You have to let go and let God reshape you as God sees fit. Now that's very hard. That's very scary. We want to remain in control to make sure that our lives or our families or our communities or our churches all go in a direction that is suitable to us. We want to be in line with God, yes, But so long as God doesn't get too crazy or go too far or go too far astray. But if the clay is fighting the potter, which I know clay is an inanimate object, has no will or volition of its own, so can't actually fight back, but go with me. If the clay is fighting the potter, then it's more likely that the resulting pot will be flawed. It won't turn out quite right. Only in going with God, working with God, cooperating with God, and ultimately giving up control and being molded by God can we become the perfect vessel that God wants us to be. After that, frankly, it's easy. Giving up control 
is, I think, the hardest step. After that, it's simply doing the things that God tells us to do, which if you've given up control, is a lot easier to do. Pray, worship, experience the sacraments, be part of a small group, read your Bible, make use of the means of grace, meet God at the places where God has promised to meet us, Fill yourself with the things that God has told us. Communicate his grace and let the hands of the potter mold you. As we begin a new school year, what can you do over the next few months to meet God where God has promised to show up? By the way, as a quick promo, being part of a church gives you entree into a number of things that help reform and reshape you into the person that God created you to be. Now, we aren't always explicit about why we do the things we do in church and how they work. But starting next week, we will be. We're starting a new sermon series next week called Why Church that looks at the ways the church things we do help reshape and remold your life and how being a part of a church can benefit your life. So if you have someone in your circle who needs God to reshape or remold their hearts and lives, this sermon series could be just for them. We start it next week in conjunction with our fall kickoff. Promo over. And now, we have to focus on the difficult part of this piece of scripture. Verses one through six are really pretty great and pretty hopeful and pretty comforting. That God can and does reshape and remold souls that have been marred is good news. But that's not where our text ends. And we need to turn to the difficult part now. Our section ends by saying this. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and actions. We end on a bit of a foreboding note. God says that he is fashioning something evil against Israel. Which colors talk of us being clay and God being the potter in a slightly different light. It's nice to talk about remolding and reshaping. It's tougher to talk about mashing up and starting over. Which is the sense that we get here. Uprooted, torn down, destroyed, that's fine in theory when it's someone else's story or someone else's nation, but we don't want it to be our nation or our lives. But the prophet says that God can tear down and destroy and uproot our lives. Sometimes being clay in the hands of a potter is dangerous. Now there's a divide in seminaries and academies of Christian thought between philosophical theology and biblical studies. Biblical studies people are okay with letting the Bible say what it needs to say about God without having to make eternal, unchanging statements. Philosophical theology 
wants to say that this is who God is yesterday, today, and always, and these statements have logical consequences that also tell us this stuff about God. The philosophical theologians get scared about statements that talk about God fashioning evil because of the eternal implications of a statement like that. How do we say that God is good and God is always loving if God fashions evil? Philosophical theologians get a little worried about that. Now, the biblical studies people say, let Scripture be weird in the best way, like Austin. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) Now, I count myself in the philosophical theology camp. I worry about the implications of God fashioning evil against the people. So I tend to do this with with, with such a passage. Scripture is pointing us to a simple yet revealed truth. God has declared that certain things build us up and make us more the people God created us to be, and certain things work against the grace of God in our lives. When we are about the latter things, we find that our lives fall apart. Our communities fall apart. Our churches, our families fall apart. The falling apart is a warning for us to turn back, to repent, to return to God, so that we might be remade whole. The philosophical theologian in me says it's not so much about God inviting or fashioning or working evil upon us as it is us inviting evil ourselves into our own lives and God using that to call us home. But either way, whatever camp you find yourself in, this passage points out to us that when we are moving away from God, When we are going after the things that do not profit, we are inviting brokenness into our lives. And when we experience brokenness, we can do one of a number of things. We can ignore it, we can view it as bad luck, or we can see it as an opportunity to honestly look at where we are before God. And we can choose to respond in a number of ways. We can continue on doing what you're doing and come what may, or we can repent and see if God won't remake and remold our lives. I want to finish with this. For years at my parents' house and then at the house that that we lived in before moving down here, Emily and I had azaleas in our yard. And I got to be honest with you. For a long while, I didn't understand why someone had planted these ugly, mangy-looking bushes that don't look like anything. You can't trim them into cool things. They just kind of sit there and grow every which way. I didn't understand it. But then April came. Now, mind you, I grew up with these bushes at my parents' house, but what can I say? I'm a guy. I didn't notice the bushes. But the first April April we were in this house, something changed. And these mangy bushes that looked just kind of there, not super ugly, not super pretty, morphed into something else. There are many David Crowder lyrics that I love, but there are two that just strike me as pure beauty. The first is this. A certain sign of grace is this. From the broken earth, flowers come up, pushing through the dirt. And the second is like it. And what was said unto the rose to make it unfold was said to me here in my chest. There's something that happens to azaleas in April. From these ordinary, mediocre bushes, flowers spring out. Something is said that these plants and make them unfold 
and it is pure beauty. I say all of that to say this. God wants to do the same thing with our lives, with our hearts. God wants to take our ordinary, mediocre lives and make something of extraordinary beauty with them. And today, our scripture offers us a choice. We can continue to be a vessel that is slightly less than what the potter intended, or we can let the potter take over and refashion us to be what we were intended to be. God offers you that choice this day. And through you, God offers this choice to all the people in your life. What will you do with this invitation? Will you personally respond and allow the potter to take over? Will you extend this invitation to those closest to you? Or will you do nothing and allow the cracks to grow and grow, whether in your own heart or in the heart of a friend or neighbor or loved one? Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, before we're willing to admit it, we can see the cracks forming. Before we're willing to own it and name it and claim it, we can see them and we know they're there. We try to hide them. We try to act like they're not there. We go into denial. But we know it. We know that there are cracks in our lives. We know there are cracks in our hearts. We know there are cracks in our souls. We know there are cracks in our family and in our friends, in our communities, in our churches, in our country, in the world. We know these cracks are there, God. And you know it too. God, today, today, we say, take these vessels, fix the cracks, remake us, reshape us, reform us. Today, we say that, God. Speak into our lives so that tomorrow we can say it too. So that when we forget, when we want to go back to imagining that there are no cracks, your word will be in our hearts and we can't let it go. Reshape us, God. Reform us, God. Remake us, God. So that we can be perfect vessels for your love and grace. And give us the strength to go out into a world filled with cracks and invite others to be remade as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.